Welcome back to Discover Music with an Earful. I'm Jeremy Shatton, and today we're going to be talking about Autumn Vibes, five albums that are just perfect for your autumn playlist. In the show notes, you'll find links to blog posts describing these albums, giving you more details and giving you links to find them on Bandcamp or wherever they are. So please check out the show notes if any of the sounds I describe sound intriguing. After the break, we'll get right into it. What is it about autumn? The way the leaves make a fireworks show in the trees and then fall beneath our feet, leaving a sweet smell in the air, the burgeoning cold driving us indoors and leaving to a desire to get cozy. And I think our music reflects that, the music we want to listen to in the fall. So I thought we'd look at some of the things that I reviewed this year that are perfect for your autumn playlist. And first would have to be Raul Vignal's Years in Marble. This is his third album, and like his first and second, it finds him generating rain-swept bliss with his finger-picked guitar, hushed voice, and the sensitive drums and percussion of Lucien Chatin. This is still a quiet album, but he's getting a little more extroverted. There's a song called To Bid the Dog Goodbye, which has electric guitar and bongos and stop tempo moves evincing a subtle drama. But the core of it all is that finger-picked acoustic guitar, which he plays with the offhand perfection of uh, Michael Chapman or even Nick Drake. This is his first album in three years, and it was long awaited around these parts. If you're also a vinyl fan, there are still 43 copies left on beautiful marble vinyl. Raul Vignal, Years in Marble. That came out in May, which is maybe not the most fall-like time of the year, obviously. And I think if you haven't heard it yet, you're gonna wanna listen to it now and put it on your autumn playlist. Another album that could fit there is Amy Helms' What the Flood Leaves Behind. More on that in a minute. Like Years in Marble, Amy Helms' What the Flood Leaves Behind is also a third album, but in this case it features an artist truly finding her voice. I felt the weight of expectations on her first two records, being the daughter of the great Levon Helm of the band, but on this one, I really feel like I'm hearing just her. Could it be that working with producer Josh Kaufman helped her find that place? Or is it just the seasoning that comes with doing something over and over again? The songs here are personal and universal. On one song co-written with Mary Gauthier, Cotton and McCain, she says, my father was a sharecropper's son, handed hope and hymns to ease the pain. And later, heroin, I'm locked out again on the side of the road. Its imagery, that anyone who's grown up with a parent 
under the influence of drugs can relate to, but anyone who's grown up with a distant parent can relate to as well. Beautiful imagery from the song Coming Home. Found a picture of her. I framed it in gold. Now it burns up the room. The songs feel simultaneously new, yet familiar. Like an old friend, not like something you've heard too many times before. The musicians here are stellar. Phil Cook on keyboards, Michael Libermento on bass, Stuart Bogey on saxophone, who even throws in a little Garth Hudson wooziness on one song. There's also a song here written by MC Taylor, verse 23, that opens the album. And he gives it a Dylan-esque resonance with concision. Lines like, some got caught in the wanting and some lost the feel. Some got lost in their own eyes and went crazy on the hill. We'll talk more about MC Taylor in a minute, his band, His Golden Messenger. But for now, I just wanna say, Amy Helms, What the Flood Leaves Behind is a gorgeous record filled with hope, healing, melodies, and rhythms that will make your autumn that much better. Have you ever ignored an artist and then discovered that you had done so at your peril? That's the way it is for me with Eric D. Johnson, who records as Fruit Bats. I really fell for him on the Bonnie Light Horseman album, which was my number two album of 2020. On that album, he collaborates with Anais Mitchell and Josh Kaufman for a, just a simply sublime take on some ancient folk songs and some that they wrote themselves. So when I heard he had a new album coming out as Fruit Bats, I decided to check it out and pay attention this time. And I was rewarded. It is a marvelous collection of songs. Josh Kaufman helped him out with production, plays guitar, and a number of other instruments. But it really comes down to the songwriting. When you hear the soaring melody of the balcony, it will just transport you. I know it does that for me. It takes me to a place where I just appreciate music in general. It's a fabulous song and the whole album is really that good. I now have a lot of listening to go through because this is something like his 12th album as Fruit Bats and I gotta work my way through it all. Maybe I'll make a career spanning playlist and share it with you and then you can discover the genius of Eric D. Johnson and Fruit Bats. In describing Quietly Blowing It, his 10th album as His Golden Messenger, MC Taylor said, I'm not sure what the difference is between celebrating and mourning. I feel like I was doing both at the same time. There in a nutshell is the array of moods found here, from joy and sorrow, hope and regret, all masterfully distilled, like one of those whiskeys made from 12 different barrels of varying ages. MC Taylor and his band of Americana experts put together another beautiful album, perfect for autumnal reflections. The first song begins with three hymn-like chords, likely played by Devon Harris of Butcher Brown. Way back in the way back, it's called, welcoming you into the album like an old friend. 
chiming guitar, and soon that beautiful backbeat I've rhapsodized about before. And the song wends its way with a weary strength through lyrics that hint at the exhaustion Taylor described in an essay he wrote about the album. A pair of saxophones join in, lending muscle and building a foundation for a guitar solo, both stylish and raw, probably Josh Kaufman. It's a perfect sound for autumnal reflections. Then again, that could be said of all of his Golden Messengers albums. I turn to them throughout the year, but they sound especially comforting in autumn. For the fifth and final album, I bring you some true autumn vibes. Patricia Brennan, who plays vibraphone, and marimba, combining them with electronics and improvisation on her album, Makwishti. The album came out in January, and it was a welcome oasis during that time of uncertainty and upheaval. I think it'll make a nice addition to your fall playlist, transporting you into a world of imagination and pure sound. Some of the electronic effects almost make the sounds tactile. You may find yourself reaching for little lozenges of music as they float around you. It's a truly beautiful album, and I recommend it for your autumn playlist. After a break, a quick question about James Bond. So I just finished doing this ranking of all the James Bond theme songs. It was a lot of fun to listen to all of them, even though some of them I hope to never hear again. But one thought occurred to me as I'm near the end of the project. Is there any other film composer of John Barry's stature who's been involved in so many songs? I don't think so. I mean, he wrote songs from 1964 all the way up until his last one, A View to a Kill. Now, some of them in the middle, he was not involved with the song, he was only involved with the score, or maybe he was involved with neither for various reasons. But still, that's a lot of songs to put into popular culture for a film composer. And it was also cool because he would take the thematic material from the songs and weave them throughout the score and vice versa. Maybe Henry Mancini, who wrote the music for Moon River and probably a few other songs that I don't remember. And I know Ennio Morricone wrote a lot of songs, but I'm not sure that they were the equal of his soundtrack work. Ennio Morricone was deeply involved in the Italo pop world in the early 60s, and I think had a couple of hit singles over there. But the ones I've heard didn't really compel me the same way his film music does. And I'm still not sure if it was in the quantity of what John Barry was doing. It's just another way that the James Bond series is so unique. There really is no other film franchise that has gone on that long, that has made such an impact on popular music and the, the way films are edited, production design. The whole thing is really just incredible. And I love diving into it from time to time, like I did with this ranking 
of all the James Bond theme songs. Thank you for listening to Discover Music with an Earful. I hope you discovered something new to love that inspired you to broaden your listening and go deeper into today's music. Find an earful on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and at an earful.blogspot.com and tell me all about it. Or contact me to seek a personal musical consultation for you or your business. I look forward to connecting. Thanks to the Droplets, Holly Miranda, Chris Maxwell, and Am Parsley for my theme song. Make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, this has been Jeremy Shatton for Discover Music with an Earful. Musical joy, running in every direction.